So I have reached the age where certain advertisements start to come to you in the mail at remarkable speed. By the way, thank you for the birthday card that the church board sent to me this past week on your behalf. As I'm sure you know, when you reach 65 years of age, you are eligible for Medicare. What you probably don't know, unless you or a close loved one has reached my age, is the aggressive manner at which healthcare companies, companies pursue you once you reach 64. A month before I turned 64, I started getting letters explaining the fact to me that Medicare didn't cover all the medical costs I would have and that I needed something to cover the gap between what Medicare would pay and my actual costs. Letters, emails, phone calls, one after the other, about how their plan would be best for me. Their purpose is clear. Their methods are tied to their objectives, and they are persistent. I don't resent them trying to attract my business. I expect them to make their best case. But it does make me wonder, has the church always demonstrated the same enthusiasm about the objectives of the kingdom that Cigna has invested in attracting my healthcare business? Back when Paul wrote letters to the church of Corinth, Corinth had lost perspective and direction. They are fighting internally, they are splintering, Paul is shocked that Christ's followers can behave in the manner that is being reported to him. Paul is frustrated, which is clear from the kind of rambling language he uses in addressing this church. Listen in as he writes to the church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Here's the word of the Lord. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be knit together in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been made clear to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
This is the word of the Lord. Did, did you hear what he had to say? Did you hear the questions he asked? He asked, has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of, the Paul, name of Paul? And then he sort of rambles on like, oh, maybe I did baptize a couple, but I don't think, well, if I did baptize others, I don't remember who I, this language here is just telling you how befuddled Paul is. He, he's frustrated by what he's experiencing in the Corinthians church. It's almost as if Paul doesn't know what to make of this situation. How is this possible among brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, we are family. We're in a giant project together. This project, this kingdom unites us since we are all citizens of the same kingdom because we all have one spirit, the Holy Spirit, given to us at the time of our conversion. What Paul is really asking, I think, is are you really citizens of this kingdom? Because you are not acting like it. Hence his opening remark. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be knit together in the same mind and in the same purpose. He wants the disciples in Corinth to be united in mind and purpose. So what is it that's dividing them? Well, it's different opinions about what is right, what is wise, and what is most important. Some of the people want to follow Paul's teachings. Some have allegiances to other Christian leaders, some of whom perhaps were more eloquent than Paul. And since eloquence mattered a great deal in the Greek culture, they were used to a culture of debating and, and oratory and fine speaking. Some Greeks were impressed with that great preaching over at such and such a place. And Paul's saying, you know what? It's not about eloquence. It's about the power of the gospel. And then there are others in the church who were saying, well, they were spiritualizing their opinions by saying, I don't follow any human leaders, I follow Christ. I mean, that's, that's always a good way to end any discussion, isn't it? Spiritualize it in an attempt to remove responsibility for your decisions and actions. Years ago, I had a couple come into my office back when I was a school principal sat down, husband and wife, and they said, God has told us that we need to take our children to Disney World for a vacation. Is that all right with you? And I said, well, I don't completely understand why you're asking my opinion if God told you to do it. Right, so I think you should do whatever you believe God told you to do. But I should observe that, your ch that God is not likely to do your children's homework and you will still be marked absent without excuse for when you go. Because that's, that's how it is. 
When you play the God told me card, you end every argument, because no one can say anything about that, right? And you perhaps are attempting to not take responsibility for your decisions and pretend that you are the interpreter of the voice of God regardless of what anybody else might say. We follow Christ. Well, as best as you understand, you follow Christ, right? You say, does the differentiation there matter all that much? Yeah, it really, really does. It really does. I've heard preachers say on the radio and on the internet, I just preach the Bible. I don't add anything to it. I don't take anything away from it. And to that statement I say, baloney. Nobody just preaches the Bible. Everyone who attempts to explain what the Bible means is interpreting. In fact, the very Bible we have is already an interpretation, a translation, if you will. Our Bibles were not written in English. Someone, actually many people together, interpreted while they translated. I first understood this most clearly when I was pastoring a Portuguese-speaking church. That was back in the day where there were some folks who were still holding on to the idea that really the only true expression of God's word was the King James Bible. And if you think about it for a second, if you're, if you're preaching to a Portuguese-speaking congregation and people are saying, well, you have to read from the King James Bible, you have to say, there is no King James Bible in Portuguese, right? King James was an English speaker, right? And there are lots of Portuguese translations. Some are older, some are newer. Every bit as valid as the King James, but as soon as you understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the whole world, all the exclusive English stuff falls away. It's ridiculous to make the argument that people who speak Spanish or Portuguese or Chinese should, should read the King James Bible. You say, why are you spending time on this rabbit hole, Pastor Dan? It's because the interpretation of scripture must be community-based, right? There is a whole church and a whole world to which scripture is given. And we have to pray together and speak together and seek God together if we're gonna understand what the revelation of God to all of us is. We can't compartmentalize this off as like, well, I'm the one who knows, right? It's, it's a function of the community of God, this interpretation of scripture. And so we work at it together. When I prepare to preach, I begin to pray and I say, Holy Spirit, Reveal to me what this passage says. And then I read it, and then I read it, and then I read it, and I spend time with it. And then I begin to write what I feel like this passage is saying and, and try to understand what, uh, how it might fit into the context of our congregation and our life here in Connecticut. And then I take the next step and I open up the commentaries and I see what scholars across the ages have believed that these passages mean because I have to check my interpretation, right? 
It's not just my interpretation that matters. It's, it's our understanding of what the scriptures are saying that's important. It's the spirit working through all of us and uniting us together so that we can have the same mind and the same purpose as we pursue Christ together as a community. Paul is criticizing the people in Corinth because they just can't agree on anything. How can they demonstrate the unity of Christ when they refuse to agree on what is essential? It's not just in the area of their thinking that Paul wants agreement, it's also in the area of their purpose, right? He's praying that there be no divisions among them, but that they be knit together in the same mind and with the same purpose. This church, this family of God, was called together by the Holy Spirit for a purpose, for a reason. And I, I'm sure that you know, I mean, maybe you live in a corporate reality somewhere where the, the directors of the corporation get together and craft a vision statement or a mission statement for the organization. Maybe the school where you work has a, a mission statement in the faculty room. I, I don't know about all that, but here's what I do know about the Church of Jesus Christ. We don't get to vote on the mission statement. We don't come up with that ourselves. That is given to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are told who we are and what it is we're supposed to pursue. So if we don't get to choose it, what is the mission statement? What's the purpose of the kingdom that is already formed that we've been invited to enter? Well, here's some help. This is Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, and when the scripture writer says from that time, he's talking about the time after John the Baptist, Jesus' first cousin, has been arrested. So John's arrested. He's already been preaching a word about repentance. And now John's been arrested, and Jesus is going to preach in a, in a more forward manner. And this is what Jesus begins to proclaim, Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And after he's proclaimed the message, he does some things. This is verse 18 now. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Then he calls James and John, and they leave their nets to their father, and they follow Jesus. And, and Jesus begins this process of calling specific people to follow him directly, to carry out the ministry of Jesus after Jesus has been taken away from them. The initial purpose of Jesus is to announce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That men and women could now enter the kingdom of God. And then after announcing that, Jesus provided the means for our sins to be forgiven by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. That's the role of Jesus in part. 
But while Jesus is on earth, he designates some to be apostles. And these individuals are gifted to continue the work of Christ here on earth. They do not provide a sacrifice for sins, but they continue the teaching that the kingdom of God is here, at hand, open, and that people may enter. So why does the church exist? Well, we exist to glorify God and to witness to the world that the kingdom of God is at hand and that men and women may enter. Now, I understand that not all of us are gifted as evangelists. Not all of us have the gifts to be able to walk up to someone and present the gospel, uh, to do that on a regular basis. We don't all have that giftings. The scripture is clear that um, there are a variety of giftings. Paul says some are given as pastors, some are given as teachers, this or that. So it may be that your full-time job is something other than an evangelist. But you do have a role to play in the witness of the church. And you must carry out that role in unity with the citizens of the kingdom of God in your local area, in unity of mind and in unity of purpose. You say, but what does unity of mind and purpose look like in our day? First of all, we will have to come to some agreement as to what our purpose really is. If we don't have a clear vision of what the goal is, we will never know how to get there. What is the goal? The goal is to enjoy our fellowship with God, affirm the life that he gives us is good, and that life in fellowship with God is the goal of creation. Simply said, it's his desire that every person who lives on the earth lives in a relationship with God through Christ. He wants everyone in his kingdom. He is attempting to restore everything that can be restored, to redeem everything that can be redeemed. He loves us so completely that he'll go to any length to invite us into his kingdom. He wants us with him. That's the goal. That's what we're after. That's why we exist. Life is good. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be enjoyed within a framework and it's meant to be lived inside the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom of God isn't about limits and drudgery and no fun. It's supposed to be the best life, enabling all that is good. And so, as a part of living in that kingdom, we avoid things that destroy life, that ruin relationships, and set us up for disappointment for disappointment, and we pursue wholesome relationships, we pursue worship and honoring God, and we invest ourselves in the care for others. The church then helps us honor God by building a spiritual structure or framework into our lives. Attending worship week after week is the routine habit of humbling ourselves before God in worship, of embracing the word of God, and of encountering our brothers and sisters in Christ as often as possible to build relationship and unity. All of that helps us stay true to our purpose 
and resist the pull of the culture to abandon our purpose. But the second part of the purpose of the church is to live as a witness that the kingdom of God is present, is at hand, and that men and women are able to enter it. You say, how do we do that? It may not be the same for all of us. It may be that God calls you to invest your life in full-time service for him. The way he does for pastors and Christian leaders. Simon and Andrew, James and John were called in this way. Chima and Julia were called in this way. Not everyone is called in that way, but some are called that way. Others are called by God to live full time in ways that allow the fruit of the kingdom of God to be seen in their lives. They are tradesmen, farmers, and lawyers, and technicians. They are mechanics, veterinarians, even some vegetarians. They provide for their families and work in ways that exemplify the values and purposes of the kingdom of God. They work, and the way that they work point people to the kingdom of God. The way they live with their families and their neighbors points people to the kingdom of God. They live lives within the fellowship of the church because it is there that the grace of God is most evident and it is there that they find the helpful counsel of brothers and sisters in Christ. And as those people live out their lives in the kingdom, they present to the entire community the example of what it means to live in fellowship with God in a world consumed by the pursuit of many other things. So what's our purpose? To live as salt and light in this world. To live in ways that point others to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to live as salt in life. To demonstrate the alternative. To say, life in the kingdom is awesome and you can enter it. You can be present in the kingdom. So how do we go about doing that? Let's be very candid. Some of our dear friends do not care at all about living in the kingdom of God. Some of our kids, some of our parents really believe that life in the kingdom is optional. You do you, I'll do me, you be you, I'll be me, whatever. We know we can't twist their arms into joining us. But many of us have simply given up and handed them off to the tyranny of their choices and to the wages of sin. We would find it convenient if they decided to join us, but we are not so burdened by the choices of others that we are willing to do anything much about it. And when we only find it convenient that they might choose to follow us. 
And when we are no longer passionate about their need to join us in the kingdom of God, then we are no longer of the same mind and we do not have the same purpose. Because our pursuit of our children and our parents and our neighbors under the leadership of the Holy Spirit is a primary objective of the church. It's why the church exists, to join Christ, to join the apostles in the proclamation that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the doors of the kingdom are open and you are invited by God himself to enter the kingdom. And it matters how we live because the evidence of our lives as citizens of this kingdom are our primary witness that life in the kingdom is good. And who on earth wants to join a kingdom when they see the children of the kingdom living in compromise, in frustration, in anger, in division? Who's gonna wanna join that kingdom? Not me. And so the way you live in the kingdom matters. It's primary. It is the first Look at your witness and testimony. You can say all you want to. You can parrot all kinds of pleasant words about life in the kingdom of God, but if your life doesn't measure up to your words, no one's listening. No one's paying any attention to those words. But if the Spirit through you demonstrates the goodness of life in the kingdom, and if the spirit in you helps you join in unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ so that together you pray with the same mind and the same purpose that the kingdom of God can come to our families and to our neighborhoods and our community, then we demonstrate that life in the kingdom is great and joyful and amazing. If we're really candid about this, I guess I wonder if we have the same level of passion about our life together and our purpose in Christ, in our responsibility to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand, if we have the same level of passion that Cigna does about getting my business for healthcare. And I'm asking myself and you, what will we do about this? How will we become of one mind and one purpose? How will we honor God by the passionate way we invite men and women into the kingdom of God? I'm hoping that our response will echo the words of this little chorus that we sing every once in a while. If you know it, maybe you can sing it with me. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. 
have called me, I will answer. Lead me, Lord, I will go. Lead me, Lord, I will follow. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me, I will answer. Lead me, Lord, I will go. You have called me, I will answer. Lead me, Lord, I will go. In these weeks leading up to Lent, I would invite you to pray with me that we would earnestly seek the Father to demonstrate to us, to tell us, to help us understand what it is he's calling us together as a community of faith to do, to reach those who need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who need to know they are loved by God, that Christ has gone as far as he can go to create the invitation for them to enter this kingdom of God. We need to spend time together listening, asking, seeking his face, so that we can be united in mind and united in purpose to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we wait before you, listening for your voice. Heavenly Father, we ask that you speak to us by your Spirit. Impress on our hearts the directions that we need to travel in order to honor you so that together we can declare that the kingdom of God is here. Father, give us a, a unity of mind and purpose if there's anything in our lives that keep us from witnessing to the goodness of life in the kingdom, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Show us the steps we have to take. Show us the things that have to be removed or the things that have to be added or, or correct our course. Because it is our desire to live as witnesses to your kingdom. And inspire us, creative Holy Spirit, in the days that are ahead, that we might see your spirit come and work through us, that men and women may find their way into the kingdom of God. Father, some of us are weary and weak and infirm. Some of us are distracted occupied and some of us are just overstimulated Lord would you sweep into our lives again and bring order where there is chaos and confusion 
Would you strengthen the weak knees that are around us? That we might be strong to serve you. That we may be focused on what is most important. And that we can know the joy that comes as living as a child of God and represent the joy of living as your child. Help us, Lord. We need you, oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. Our one defense, our righteousness. Oh God, how we need you. We need you, oh, we need you. Every hour we need you. Our one defense, our righteousness. Oh God, how we need you. And now may God the Holy Spirit impress upon your hearts what it means to live as salt and life in this day. And may you so glorify God by the way you follow the Spirit that men and women will find entrance to the kingdom of God to the glory of God now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.